I am excited today to have my friend Sandy Spangler here. She is one of the co-founders of Karis House in Zambia, Africa. And I wonder if you could share with us today what led you guys to found Karis House? Well, that is a much longer story than we have time for here. Um, it started back in 2012. Um, my husband felt like we were called uh, to go work in Zambia and um, one of the hardest times of our lives, but truly the very, very best time of our lives. And through that, we made relationships and um, another family was feeling called uh, to serve in Zambia in some capacity. And through all these years, we found out that there was just a situation with young pregnant teens that was not being addressed. And so um, it was 2018, and we were sitting in a Thai food restaurant in Lusaka. And uh, we kind of looked at each other and said, we can't find anybody to help. And so we were like, I think this is our thing. And so here we are today. That's amazing, and uh, you are a new partner with Community of Faith and a relatively new ministry. I wonder if you could give us just a quick overview of the work that you're doing there. Yeah, so uh, relatively new is generous because we are one year old. We just had our anniversary, and so um, what we do is we um, are referred these young pregnant teens and teens, and we bring them into our home. Uh, it's a home very similar to yours and mine, and we basically teach them how to be mothers. Um, we disciple them and who they are in Christ, all with the foundation of getting their education. And so um, they do a lot of schoolwork. Um, and in, in that, we have a discipleship class, mentorship class, parenting class, enrichment classes. Um, we have to teach them how to like use a toilet. They don't even have normal toilets where they come from. So there's a lot of teaching. Um, and as I said before, we do a lot of conflict resolution because we've got pregnant teens and moms. So <laughs> that's what we do a lot of. I know that um, Zambia is one of the first places that Mark and I visited in Africa many years ago. And at that time, the AIDS crisis had really hit the country hard. And I wonder um, if you guys see that and, and what, what really is the need that you saw, the why of creating Kira's House? Yeah, so Zambia is a patriarchal culture, and so women are second-class citizens. And, um, you know, if you have children, the boys get to go to school before the girls do. The boys are out playing, the girls are working. And if a man wants a girl, he just takes her. And so it's really hard to be a woman in Zambia. And so um, with the crisis, it was before COVID, uh, they were estimating one in three girls. Um, the, they are, no one's done anything since, but they're estimating that it, especially in the rural areas, it went a lot higher. And so there are so many girls that are just having babies at such young ages that are never finishing their school. And there's really no one helping them because once you get pregnant in school, you get dismissed. I know you've been going just a year, like you said, but I wonder if, if maybe you could share with us a good story that you've seen coming out of this first year. Yeah. So we have seven girls currently, and um, they're all great stories. Um, maybe our hardest story is Regina. 
Uh, Regina's father was sentenced to 25 years in prison when she was very young, um, and her mother divorced him, and so they have no one to provide for them, and so the mother decided that Regina should get married at the age of 11. And so Regina was married to a 27-year-old man, and it's not a marriage. They just kind of give it to him, and it's an agreement. And so at 13, she found herself pregnant. And so I was there the, the day we brought her into the campus, and she wouldn't look at you in the eye, and she wouldn't talk, and she really didn't want to come out of her room much. During devotion times, she fell asleep. She just was so not healthy. And so then when we went back to do the videos, um, the video crew had said, who do you guys think? And um, Carrie and I, the, co the other co-founder, we were like, well, he, this girl, this girl, but not Regina, because she just won't be able to do it. Well, of course, the morning that we started, Regina comes out and she's like, I need to tell my story. And so if you ever wanna go to our website, you can see her video, it's a beautiful story. And at the very end, they're asking her, you know, how's your life changed? And she's like, I know Jesus, I know what Jesus thinks about me. I want my daughter to know Jesus the way I do. That's awesome. That's Yeah, really awesome. <laughs> That's what it's all about. That's why yeah. you do what you do and why we do what we do. Um, Sandy is actually a member of Community of Faith, a faithful member, and we're super proud of her and of Robert and the work that they're doing. And I wonder this morning if you would give us, as your church family, the honor of praying for you guys and praying for Kara's house. Of course. Will you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you so much for just this testimony today of what you've done in Regina's life, that she has come into relationship with you and that she wants to raise her daughter to know and love you, just like our parents here today have committed themselves. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for that. God, I thank you for Sandy, for Robert, for their other co-founders and the courage they had to step into obedience and do something that you have called them to do that no one else was doing. And God, I thank you for how you've blessed that over this first year, how you've provided everything they needed, every staff person, every um, diaper, everything that they've needed. And God, we thank you and praise you for that. And I thank you that you've allowed Community of Faith to be partnered with them. God, we pray for your protection of this ministry. I pray for your protection of the staff, of the girls as they're living there. God, we pray that you would give them wisdom going forward to know how to minister to these girls and provide the needs that they have. And God, we just pray that you would do miracles among them and that you would raise these women up and raise their children up to be mighty warriors for Christ. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here, Thank Sandy. Thank you, Sandy. Y'all give Sandy a hand. Well, it is our best gift season. What is best gift? We give our best gift at Christmas to the birthday boy. You know, you're always giving gifts to people, but, uh, you know, sometimes we forget the birthday boy, and it's important that we give our best gift to him. But what do you give to a God who has everything. What do you give to this? You know, if you ever, some of you have in your life uh, uh, somebody that like seems like they have everything and you think, what am I going to get them for Christmas? They're always the hardest one to shop for, right? Well, what do you give to this God of the universe who has literally everything? The Bible says there's one thing that we can give 
And if we have it and give it, it pleases him. Without it, it's impossible to please God. What is it? It's the gift of faith. Now, we have some symbols of our faith, our money, our lives, you know, our resources, our time. Those are symbolic things that we give to him. But I want us to talk a little bit about faith because some of you have a definition of faith that maybe it's not quite really what faith is. This is a hard thing, but it's a good thing. So let's look at that together. What is faith? We see it in the book of Hebrews. We have the faith chapter, and it's chapter 11 of Hebrews. So interesting because it talks about the heroes of faith. But listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It is our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors, set them above the crowd. And then skip to verse six, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So what is faith? It's the gift we give back. It's the only gift that we really have to offer God. Everything boils down to that. So my first part of the definition of faith that we see in the scripture is faith is trust in God's heart. Now we all know that trust is involved with faith. I mean, even when you go to the doctor, if you have faith in the doctor, you trust his prescription for wellness for you to get better or your surgeon, or whenever you get on an elevator, you trust that the elevator is actually going to take you to the 10th floor, right? And, and so trust is involved in that. It's the conviction that certain things are true. But unfortunately, a lot of people stop their definition of faith right there. They think faith means absolute trust. Faith to them is a pure belief without any mixture of doubt. If I can just scrounge up this, you know, so I have no doubt left, I can get all the doubt out. That's okay as long as you stay in your house, in your bed, under the covers, with the pillow over your head, right? But in real life, let me give you a better definition as we continue this definition of faith. Faith is trust in God's heart mixed with some fear and doubt. In this world, it's hard to arrive at 100% certainty about anything, isn't it? You hope the doctor can help you, but maybe he's a quack, you know? You're pretty sure the elevator's gonna get you to the 10th floor, but maybe the cable's going bad, you know? To really come to 100% certainty, if that's your goal, it paralyzes you. You're waiting for a feeling that will never happen. I love what the man said in Mark chapter nine, the gospels is talking about the life of Jesus and it tells us one of the stories. Jesus was healing people and this man came to Jesus and his son 
was demon-possessed. The, the demon would throw his son into the fire, make him foam at the mouth, throw him into the water, trying to kill him. And he said to Jesus, if you can, would you heal him? And Jesus looked at him and said, if I can, all things are possible to the one who believes. And then I love what the man said. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's a pretty good prayer. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And God healed his son. See, in truth, there's always unbelief mixed in with our belief. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's true in so many areas. I mean, I've been with hundreds of people as they breathe their last breath. And I was just, it makes me think, when I breathe my last breath, oh, I know I'm going to heaven. But then, I'm going to open one eye and look around and go, it's real. It's really real, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It, it's like, you know it's real, but, oh, you know, it's just, it, this, is, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? And what's the difference between me and an unbeliever? Something distinguished me from an unbeliever in the way I live my life. I acted on my belief. In fact, Laura and I, like many of you, have built our lives around believing that God is good, that we can trust him, that his word is true, that heaven is real. So let me continue on with this definition of faith. Faith is trust in God's heart mixed with some fear and doubt, but then acting on the trust part. The key word is acting, choosing to act in spite of our feelings. See, faith is wavering between trust and doubt, belief and unbelief, hope and despair, and finally, hesitantly with your heart in your hand, acting on the belief part. Let me just say it really clearly. A lot of people think living by faith means staying over in the belief column until you get that certainty, but that almost never happens. I don't call that living by faith. I think that's stalling by faith, you know, because we'll never do anything for the kingdom of God because that's just not what it's like to be a human being. Living by faith means acting on the belief part. It means taking a step of faith, no matter how small, how halting, but that baby step in the right direction of what God's telling us to do. However unsure, of yourself you may be. So let me say it again. Faith is trust mixed with doubt, belief mixed with unbelief, and acting on the belief part. Don't worry about your doubts. Faith is always mixed with doubts. That's why Jesus said, if you have that mustard seed, that molecule of faith, he knows that it might be really small, tiny little flame. Put that into me. Take the next baby step with me. Act on the belief part in spite of your doubts. Then you're truly living by faith. But I think there's even more to the story than that. If we left the matter there, it would be still leaving a very incomplete picture from what we get in Hebrews chapter 11 because living by faith is often very, very difficult. And it doesn't always turn out the way that we think it should or the way that we would like. 
I suppose another way to ask the question is, does living by faith mean you will always receive a miracle? Well, that depends on what your definition of miracle is. Let me just read you Hebrews 11, 33 and 34. It's talking about the heroes of the faith here. And it says this, through faith's power, they conquered kingdoms and established true justice. Their faith fastened on to their promises and pulled them into reality. It was faith that shut the mouth of lions. It was faith that put out the power of the raging fire. And we go, yay, faith. All right, faith. But that's only part of the story because these verses go on, 35 through 38. It was faith that enabled others to endure great atrocities. I don't know if I want that faith. They were stretched out on the wheel and tortured. Others were mocked and experienced the most severe beating with whips. They were in chains. They were imprisoned. Some of these faith champions were brutally killed. See, these men and women that were brutally tortured had faith just like Noah and Abraham and Moses and Joshua. Their faith wasn't weaker. In fact, it might have been stronger because it enabled them to endure incredible suffering. The miracle, the miracle is they stayed faithful even in the midst of things not working out like they thought they should work out. In the midst of like, God, where are you? What's, what's going on? So let's give one last revision to our definition of faith. Faith is trust in God's heart mixed with some fear and doubt, but then acting on the trust part without regard for the consequences. Living by faith means you take a step of faith without knowing exactly where it's gonna lead you. Sometimes it works out. Other times, it doesn't seem to, at least in our minds, at least as far as we can see. Faith means you step out with no guarantees except the goodness of God. Someone said to me the other day about a believer who passed away. He was so sure that God was going to heal him. What happened? Did God fail? Was there just not enough faith on our part? That's what a lot of preachers would have you believe. Well, you didn't believe enough. It's on you. But Jesus said, it's just a molecule of faith. It's a mustard. It's the tiniest thing that you can think of. This tiny bit of faith put into me. The writer of Hebrews would say, no, that's not what it is. It's just that you can't understand completely the story that God is writing. I mean, think about Hebrews eleven six again. Let me read it to you again. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. The one who comes to God, that's the big key, coming to God. You believe that he exists. Well, you wouldn't come to him if you didn't believe he exists. And you believe that he rewards those who seek him. But the key is that you come to God. You draw near to God. A person of faith not only believes that God exists, but that he's a rewarder, that he loves it, that it pleases him. 
and he rewards us for seeking him. So how do we please God? Live sinlessly? No. Love flawlessly? No. Succeed perfectly? No. Trust. Trusting his heart. Trust that still doubts sometimes. Trust that doesn't understand sometimes. But acts in each choice with the belief that God is good, that he can be trusted, that relationship with him is the best outcome possible. The reward really is the relationship. What about all those things we don't understand? Unbelief would say, God is a liar. God is a liar. But see, when you do that, you set yourself up like you are God. Like, if I was God, I wouldn't do that. Well, if, if you were God, most of us wouldn't be here because we'd already got you angry, right? And you're going, just turn into ashes. But, but you're, you know, your spouse would have been gone a long time ago, right? But belief says God is, well, he's God. He is other. He is so far above me that my little pea brain can't even figure out what he's doing right now. But I know that he's good. And I know that he loves me. And I know that he's a rewarder of those who seek him because his word tells us that. It's just that we simply can't understand the story he's writing. Because you see, God is writing a great story. Hebrews 12, 12 says, Jesus is the author of our faith. Jesus is the finisher of our faith. Jesus is the one who's writing the story and he's gonna finish the story. Jesus himself will finish the story. It's not finished yet. In fact, in Revelation, he stood up off the throne and said, I make all things new. It's mind-blowing. I make all things new. You mean that trauma that you went through, he redoes it? That thing that was so devastating in your life, he makes it new. He makes it different. He rewrites a story. Sometimes I think he's going to rewrite stories, but he is the great author. He's writing a great story. It's the story of faith. And here's the amazing thing. You are in it. And Jesus himself is going to write the ending. So what does this mean to us? Well, a lot of us here at Community of Faith, we came to Jesus initially because of a a, a felt need, right? Uh, God, please save my marriage. God, please heal me. God, give me a job. And it's okay to start there but it's not okay to never get past there because see, all of those things, they're temporary. They're passing. When the miracle comes, faith says, of course it came. God can be trusted. And when we seem to wait in vain for the miracle and we don't understand, even in the midst of brutal torture, faith says, I don't understand, but I know. God's heart can be trusted. Paul said, I know the one in whom I believe. 
And I know that he's trustworthy. I want God more than life itself, more than my next breath. You see, when we use Jesus to get the same things that the world wants, health, wealth, prosperity, it's clear to everyone what our treasure is. We have the same treasure as the world. It's not Jesus. He's just the ticket to the treasure. And when the show begins, the ticket is thrown away. I have a dream for us, community of faith. I have a dream, and it comes from what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. My desire, my prayer for you, and the reason why we take this best gift offering at all is that I want your life to take on a radical risk-taking flavor, a gutsy, counter-cultural, God-pleasing flavor that the average churchgoer in America, they might feel uncomfortable with, that we would live in such a way that over a decade or two or three, our church comes to be so bright and so salty that we shine like Jesus and we taste like Jesus. What the world, what our culture is waiting to see, what maybe might awaken a sense of who God is to them is some risk, some crazy sacrifice, some extraordinary love, something salty and bright. They might not like it when they see it. In fact, they might crucify it, but they won't be able to ignore it. Tim Hansel, in one of his books, he said something that kind of blew me away. He said, we always think of Jesus as this really, just this nice person. He said, no one living in the time of Jesus, if they describe Jesus, no one said Jesus is so nice. Now, they said he was good, but they didn't say he was nice. He said, think about it. Coming face-to-face with Jesus Christ must have been like coming face-to-face with a hurricane. You couldn't ignore him. Love him, hate him. Live for him, kill him. But you didn't ignore him. And let me just read you the end of Hebrews 11, 39 and 40. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Without you, without us, there is no complete story. God's church is the surprise ending. We're to take this prodigal planet back for him until the day that he returns. And as we trust in his heart and we step out in faith, we're bringing his great love story to completion. That's what's happening to those sweet girls in Zambia and their little babies. They're finding out there's a God who loves them, who cares about them, 
And I love that Sandy has stepped out as one of our church members and they're in Zambia and going like, somebody needs to do this. And when I was sitting with her at her table, she said that she and her husband just looked at each other and goes, I guess that's us. It is us. And a part, our partners around the globe, a lot of them are on staff with us. Most of them. They're you. And we've reached out and you're impacting sex trafficking in India. And you've brought hundreds of little boys and girls out of that. And you're changing the lives of people in Burundi, Africa, the poorest country on the planet. You've already created through the bank that you made and only you, no one's helping us, 300,000 jobs. And you've changed the face of a country. You have. I'm telling you, if you go to Burundi with this, you're not going to believe what God has done. When we got there and we began to work with the Batwa people, the poorest people on the planet, average making $100 a year per capita. Can you imagine? In the U.S., we make 70000 a year now, basically. But $100 a year, two out of 10 of their kids didn't live to age five. In these last 10 years we've been working with them, we've only lost one baby among all of the tens of thousands of Batwa that we're working with. Because of the hospital that you built, because of the clinics, because of giving food, we built that porridge factory. And now we're feeding tens of thousands of kids a day with that fortified porridge. Wow. Let me just kind of put it like this and I'll close. Here's kind of what life is like. Just kind of an analogy of life, maybe an allegory. We're walking through this deep, giant desert. That's our culture. Each of us has in our hand a water bottle. Now, some of us have bigger water bottles than others. That represents our resources, our talents, our gifts, the things that God has given us. God gave us the water bottle. But that's not going to carry you through the vast desert. That's not going to be enough to make it. And so as you're walking along, you're getting really thirsty, thinking, I need to drink this water, but I'm scared to drink the water. I I probably ought to hoard the water. And then you come up on one of those old-fashioned well pumps, and there's a note on it, and it says, I gave you your water bottle, but that's not going to be enough to carry you through. What I want you to do is I want you to prime this pump. I want you to pour every bit of your water bottle into the top of this. And as you prime it, those old-fashioned pumps had to be primed. You begin to pump like crazy. And thousands of feet below you, there's an underground river that'll never run dry. I promise you. And as you begin to pump and the water begins to come out, it's a never-ending stream that'll impact you, your family, and your world. I'm giving you fountains of living water 
welling up inside you, but you got to prime the pump. What are you going to do? You look at the bottom of the note, and it's signed, Jesus Christ. Oh, if it was signed Bubba Jones, I wouldn't do anything with it, right? But it's signed Jesus Christ. So we have a choice. No, I think I'm going to hold on to my bottle. You know, it's a pretty big bottle. It's bigger than other people's. And, or maybe you're looking at it and go, mine is so tiny and small. I just, what am I going to do with it? I better hold on to it. And Jesus said, well, there, it's the big two-liter bottle or it's just some little bitty, tiny little thing. I want you to pour it in the top of the pump and I want you to pump like crazy. The act of pouring is faith. And watch what I do. I'm not one of those prosperity preachers, you know, give God a dollar and he'll give you a hundred dollars and, you know, do all of these different things. But some of you, you've never activated the pump. You've never seen the rivers of living water. Some of you, he wants to make wealthy beyond your wildest imaginations. Not so that you can be wealthy beyond your wildest imaginations, so that you can be a pipeline into his kingdom and you can give it away and give it away and give it away. And he'll just keep on giving because you just keep on pumping and it just keeps on coming. What are you going to do? It's not going to be enough to make it anyway. You're not going to make it on your own. I dare you. My dad used to say, I double dog dare you. Faith, that little act. One of the ways you can do it is our best gift. You write down that number, your pledge and your gift, and it's more than you think you can possibly do because you've got a word from God. Now, remember I told you last week, don't do it under compulsion. That's why they don't show you little starving babies with flies on them and stuff like that. If someone says, you know, you need to give because, and they guilt trip you, you just tell them because it's in the Bible. It says, don't give under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. Say, my pastor told me not to give you a dime because you're under compulsion. That's not how, that's, that's not faith. Don't give out a guilt. Don't look around and say, what are people going to think about me if, you know, I need to give. It doesn't count. This is all about you and God. Do you believe? Do you believe? Are you a believer? I am, but this is hard. I don't know for sure, you know. Congratulations, you're a member of the human race. Watch what he does. And I'm not promising you financial wealth. What I'm saying is that God said, when you give like that, I'll open the windows of heaven and I'll pour out blessing. There's going to be blessing. And most of all, you're going to discover his heart and you're going to discover a relationship with the one being in the whole universe who loves you so unconditionally. He knows you to your very core and he still loves you with all that he is enough to die for you so that you could live with him forever. One day, 
we're gonna stand beside the crystal sea. And what I want is I wanna hug you up tight. And I wanna say, man, that was a ride. And I want you to throw your head back and laugh and go like, what a ride that was. See, I used to not like to talk about giving because people think that, oh yeah, you know, that's what church is after. Listen, God doesn't need your money. He just wants your heart. Would you just close your eyes with me for a minute? God, as we're here today, a lot of us, we know we really haven't. We haven't done it. We haven't, we haven't lived by faith. We can't please you if we don't live by faith. And God, more than anything, because we know how much you love us and you love us unconditionally, even when we fail, even when we fall, even if we don't give a dime, you're gonna love us to the end of time. But you get so excited when you say, look at my little girl living by faith, pleases me. Look at my little boy living by faith, pleases me so much. We want to please you. We love you. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God over us. Let nothing stop the world change that you want to do through the community of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.